We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You're listening to Setting the Pace, your go-to Pacers podcast with Alex Golden and Michael Focci. Miller for three. Oh, he banked it in. He banked it in. And the game is tied. We're going to overtime. Warren lets it fly. Yes. T.J. Warren is not human. Razor catches, shoots for three to win it. He hits it. To go. Brogdon for three. Let's Got go. it. O'Neal drives on Yao. Puts it in. Duarte for three. Boom, baby. Anthony attacks oh. Hibbert. Denies him at the rim. Karis LeVert. People don't realize how good he really is. LeVert. Skies high for the jam. Stevenson passes into Sabonis for the basket. Jackson turns, fires, and hits. Oh, Turner bringing that smoke. Flips it to the big fella, fake shoots, and hits. What's up, everybody? Uh, this is Dwayne Washington Jr., and you're listening to Setting the Pace. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Setting the Pace. And no, Michael Fachi is not here because, yes, once again, Fachi is a popular person. He is in another uh, another bachelor party, so he is unable to be here with us at this time to record, but that's okay. It is for his brother, so congrats to him. But joining me now is the one and only Red Bauer. Red, thanks so much for coming back on. Absolutely. Got some big shoes to fill, but uh, we got some good stuff to talk about. So I'm excited to be here. Yeah, you've got to come up with some good, uh, what does he use? A lot of analogies, different ways to describe things. I mean, you're going to have your shoes full, but, uh, you know, you're going to hands full, excuse me, but a, a lot here to talk about. So we're going to do a fun little segment. I, I believe Colin Cowherd does this on his show sometimes, and I'm not sure what it's about, whether it's teams or quarterbacks or whatever, but we're going to do three words to describe each pacer. And then kind of elaborate. So, Red, since you're my guest, I'll let you start off first with the player that you choose to describe first. So, who you got? I think my favorite three-word description was Goga, and it was continual turbonus casualty. Because <laughs> it just seems like we, we always talk about Sabonis Sub, and Turner don't really fit, but then it's Goga who ends up getting more or less screwed, especially when you consider his summer league situation and being injured and not being able to play. So, you know, there's a lot of issues with the Turbonus pairing, whether it works, whether it doesn't. And then Goga is just the the casualty of that. That's a great, that's a great three words to describe him. What were they again? One more time. 
continual turbonus casualty. So <laughs> I got I got pretty technical with some of my words just yeah. to try to make it to three. That yeah, great. no, yours is way better than mine. I wrote playing time uncertain. So oh yeah, <laughs> they pretty much go together in terms of not really sure what his role is on this team, and it's kind of frustrating. I, I think as a Pacer fan, you want to see this young rookie that you drafted get an opportunity, but once again, the Pacers have decided that Miles Turner and Sabonis starting is the best way to go. And that could mean that Gogo Batadze is out of the rotation. We're not sure yet, but I just, I feel like his playing time is uncertain at this point, Rhett. And I, uh, I want Gogo to play. I want him to get that development, but at the same time, I get that the paces are trying to win and it might be at the expense of his minutes. Yeah, absolutely. I went through a thought exercise of trying to build the Pacers rotation as best I could. And I went 11 deep, and this was with TJ Warren in there, so I could probably find some more minutes with Goga, but I could really only find like 10 or so minutes for Goga, and that's just not enough to see what he can actually do. Yeah, at that point, it feels like you're almost just, it's not worth putting him in there for those 10 minutes. I mean, I hate to say that, but it's like I'd rather just have a consistent rotation that makes more sense for actual basketball purposes but let's move on the next guy I will bring up uh, let's do Edmund Sumner just because it's such a sad thing to talk about but I just said injuries sure suck Uh, this is a guy that just cannot catch a break when it comes to injuries he looked really good last season when he played coming up on a contract year and then has to miss the rest of the season with an Achilles injury like we said last episode he did have surgery on that to repair that but Looks like he'll be out for the year, and I'm really disappointed because we won't get to see Edmund Sumner play. Yeah, absolutely. That was the first thing I said. I can't remember if I messaged you or if it was Mark Schindler. It was like I didn't even think about the Pacers as a team or as an organization and what it meant for the rotation. It was mostly just about Ed himself, like him as a person having to go through this. It's just it's just not great. But my three words were hopefully sticking around. Yeah, and that's true. <laughs> Not even necessarily with the Pacers, but I just hope he continues to stick around in the league because we saw him be good. We saw him develop into somebody who deserved an opportunity this season, and it's just a shame that he's not going to get that. So hopefully he sticks around with the Pacers, but hopefully if not, there's another team out there who will uh, roll the dice on him coming back from an Achilles. Yeah, I definitely think he's worth giving a risk to. I think the Pacers like him. I wouldn't be surprised if they brought him back next year on another you know, short-term deal like another year to prove himself once he comes back from the injury. But at the same time, if another team offers him multiple years, I think if I was Edmund Sumner, I would take that. But right now it's just playing time. I wasn't even sure if he was going to be in the rotation once, you know, the season started, if he was healthy. So this just really puts a a damper on everything with him. And with TJ Warren going out, you thought, okay, Edmund might get a chance to crack the rotation now. And then this happens. So let's move on to the next one. Who is your next player? We're going to stick in the same bracket of players, more or less. And I'm going to talk about Jeremy Lamb. And my three words were suddenly kind of important because Sumner going out and Warren going out, that's two wing-ish players. And so we know we've spent this entire offseason on the trade machine trying to find a way to get Lamb out of here so we can clean up the rotation. Well, the rotation kind of just got cleaned up, as, as, as sad as that is to say. Yeah, I still think he could be on the outside looking in, in terms of maybe like absolutely the, no, yeah, yeah, you definitely still trade him if you can, but it's just interesting that he now, like we might need yeah. him. Yeah, depth wise, you definitely are hoping that he can play and hopefully be you know a positive factor for this team. 
Uh, the thing that I worry about the most is his defense. And so that's right. For my three words, I wrote defense, comma, what's that? Because um, last year <laughs> he played zero defense. And I was like, okay, Jeremy Lamb is a non-playable guy at this point because he wasn't providing anything offensively after like his first couple of weeks back from the injury. And then defensively, he just looked like a revolving door, you know, just everybody going right through him. So I uh, I like Jeremy Lamb when we signed him, but as we've gotten closer to the end of his contract after the big injury, it just feels like it's time to move on. And his days are numbered as a pacer. But uh, yeah, I, I just think defensive-wise, he's got to get better. Without a doubt. And that's, I'm really hoping that it's more scheme than anything else that the way Bjorkman played defense was just not conducive to Lamb at all. And so it made him look worse than he actually was. But right. at the same time, <laughs> I don't know for sure. So, yeah. So, yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see. Well, let's look at the last wing that we don't really know if it'll be in the rotation or not, or even on the roster. And that's Keelan Martin. And for my three words, I said might make roster. The reason I put those three words is because his contract guarantee has been in limbo for over two months now. They continue to push that date back. And now it's going to be like the start of the regular season when we know if he'll be guaranteed or not. So, Keelan Martin, he's a guy hanging on by a thin, thin thread. And it just, you know, nothing more to say than he might make roster. He, he might not make the roster. So that is why I put those three words. What are your three words for Keelan Martin? It's funny because while you did send me all of your words, I had mine done first. And so we didn't collaborate on this, but my three words were not a guarantee. So <laughs> we're, we're in step there. Right, right, right. So it's just funny because – you feel so bad for the guy and we did not do the two-way players or the exhibit 10 guys because I would have literally literally wrote two-way player for all of the guys who are two-way players to describe <laughs> them and exhibit 10 guy for all the exhibit 10 guys so did not feel the need to do that but Keelan Martin you know you feel for him a little bit because clearly there's no other teams that really want him or he would not be on the roster right now so they're trying to hold out and with the injury news I think there's a really good chance he does make the roster but at the same time, if they want to cut him and maybe get someone that fits a position of need more, they could go that route. So let's move on. Who is your next guy? Uh, last one of this group, Isaiah Jackson. I put maybe next year because yeah. as, as full as the rotation is, if Goga isn't getting minutes, then Isaiah Jackson is less ready and will get even – he's even further down in the rotation. Yeah, Rick Carlisle had a lot of things nice to say about him on the podcast. I saw some quotes on Twitter. Have not fully listened to that yet, but – he did say uh, that Isaiah Jackson does a lot of things that he likes and, and feels like he can eventually be become uh, a nice player at that four position. But I wrote year of development. It just feels like you said he's not going to get much playing time with the Pacers roster. He might play in some garbage time minutes if we're up or down by quite a few points and they throw in the towel. And he he's going to play with the Mad Ants. We know that. And that's going to be good for him to, to get an opportunity to show what he can do, but he's still got to develop that three-point shot. I think that that's one thing he really needs to work on, and they want him to work on so he can be a true four in this NBA, uh, in the NBA. But I like Isaiah Jackson. There's a lot of optimism for him, and uh, I hope that he pans out and does well. Without a doubt, yeah. Carlisle was really singing his praises on the sideline, guys. I, I encourage everybody to go check that out. It was a lot of good stuff from him, but – uh, Carlisle, he was really talking about Isaiah Jackson. So hopefully we, uh, we can see him in the G league and do some, do some good things. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Let's move now to our guys that we think are going to be in the rotation for sure. And that is TJ McConnell, Chris Duarte, Justin Holiday, Tori Craig, and O'Shea Brissett. I will start this off one with, uh, with TJ McConnell. 
And the three words that I put are epitomizes Indiana basketball. If you're describing how fans want an Indiana basketball player to play, you could just put up some game film of TJ McConnell, you know, just, just a complete scrapper. Love to root for him. He's kind of the underdog as well. So his underdog story just shows that he's a leader often on the court and a really good person on and off the court. So I just felt like he epitomizes Indiana basketball the best out of all the guys on this roster. Without a doubt. Yeah. And it's not for the gym rat, bring your lunch pail, like all of that stuff. He's just hustle and defense. So I love it. I put hopefully worth eight mil because <laughs> I mean, I love the signing and I, I think when we had talked about it, the projection was going to be close to 10. So getting, getting some sort of discount and getting that four years, four-year deal for $8 million a year is, is going to be good. But I just do kind of have a slight hesitation about how good he was last year for Bjorkeren mm-hmm. and what the ceiling of a team is that relies on TJ McConnell that much. Is it, does that make any sense? No, it does. I think that it was quite a bit more money than I think fans were expecting. I think we were all kind of expecting like the six to seven range, but to see it in the eight to eight and a half range, you're like, oh, okay, that's a little bit more than I anticipated. But at the same time, he's – never really gotten an opportunity to get that big of a contract. So you can see why the Pacers wanted to keep him. And he did have a lot of suitors out there as well. And it's from- a market value for a backup point guard too. Like that's the mm-hmm. important thing about it. It's not just that number in a vacuum, but even still, I'm I'm interested to see if he can have an encore of last year and, and, and really support that bench. Yeah. I mean, definitely not a starter in my opinion, but a guy worthy of, you know, leading the second unit. I think he's proven that over and over that he can be that leader and we'll see how he does without McDermott, and we'll see how he utilizes or Carlisle utilizes him, maybe playing with or without Sabonis. I think it'll be kind of intriguing to see what he does there. So let's move on. Who's your next player? I'll go over to Chris Duarte, and I put, is he ready? Because yeah. I feel like these two injuries are going to be what determines whether or not he, he is as ready to play as he was advertised coming in, out of the draft. Well, those are great. I, I put great opportunity ahead. So I think we're kind of in step there with what we're thinking. You know, is he ready? Good question mark. But is this is also a great opportunity for him. Not not that you wish any injury on a guy like Warren or Edmund Sumner, but with those two guys now out of the rotation for the foreseeable future, he could start. He could be the sixth man off the bench. He could be the seventh man off the bench. You know, it's just one of those things where you're hoping that this allows an opportunity for him to play. You don't want to see him get buried behind Craig Lamb or even Keelan Martin at this point. Being the 13th overall pick, 24 years old, lights out shooter who can defend, that's kind of what you want to see when you're looking at a guy that could, you know, hopefully make your rotation. You want to see that guy get those minutes right away just to prove it. And I think, you know, if he's got that opportunity, is he ready? We'll have to see. But I think if he does prove that he's ready, there's a case that you could say, hey, let's put him in the starting lineup. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they want from him right off the bat because if I'm if I'm the Pacers, I'm definitely starting Justin Holiday and bringing Duarte off the bench to see if he can handle the ball a little bit more because obviously with the starters, even though Warren is out, so that's some shots that need to go somewhere, I just don't see him handling the ball very much. And he kind of showed some of that in Summer League, and, and I just want to develop him in that way so that he can, in the future, be a, a more well-rounded starter rather than just a shooter and defender. Mm, I completely agree. Let's move on to the guy you just mentioned. That's Justin Holiday. And for my three words to describe him, I felt like this was probably the easiest one for me. I wrote reliable, reliable veteran wing. That's just what Justin Holiday is. He's got a lot of NBA experience. 
and he's been healthy <laughs> since he's been here. So you can rely on him to be healthy. Uh, he's that veteran that this team desperately needs, and he plays a position of importance, and that's the wing position. So I think Justin Holiday is, you know, definitely the best bang for your buck maybe on this team. Maybe O'Shea Brissett's a little bit better bang for your buck in terms of value. But Justin Holiday signed a really favorable contract last year with the Pacers, and I really like him. I am, I'm sure he's not happy to see Aaron Holiday leave, but at the end of the day, hopefully Aaron gets a better opportunity in Washington. And Justin continues to get, you know, guaranteed playing time here on the Pacers. Yeah, I had steady, not sexy. So we're right. We're right in yeah. step again. Um, I was going to put something about trying to avoid riding him too hard in the starting lineup because we right. saw him wear down last year. But that's way more than three words. So I just went yeah. for I just went for the simplicity. <laughs> Yeah, lower expectations, question mark? I don't know. Like That, that could be. Yeah. yeah, yeah. so I mean, really for Justin, we know that he's not a full-time starter, but if he starts and plays 20 minutes a game, I think that's fine. But asking him to play 30 minutes a game like he was doing last year was just a little bit too much. So let's move on. Uh, who do you got next? We'll go to Tory Craig. And my three words were glad he signed. Okay. So I, was, I was listening to the sideline guys earlier today, as I mentioned, and they and, and Carlisle said – that they were very aggressive in pursuing Tory Craig. And if you'll remember, they signed him almost immediately as free agency opened up. Yeah. And that, that was kind of enlightening for me to the TJ Warren injury situation, because if they were that aggressive, then obviously they knew it would take time, but it's just going to be really, really interesting to see what that means for Warren. And then what they didn't mention on the podcast was O'Shea Brissett very much. So it seems like Craig might be ahead of him in the rotation. So I'm just glad we have another big bodied wing on the, on the team. Yeah. And I was actually a little bit worried about that, not in a bad way, but I like O'Shea and we saw a lot from him last year and Kevin Pritchard had a lot of praise for him. They said they felt like they found something in him, but at the same time, we know Carlisle really wants to get this defense back up to the top notch. And I think that if you look at their games, Torrey Craig is significantly better defensively than O'Shea Brissett. Brissett's got a long way to go in that area, in my opinion. But that's why, for my three words, I wrote Torrey Craig here to defend. And that's exactly what he does. He can't really rely on his offense. He did shoot the ball better last season, but is that, you know, sustainable? We'll see. I'm not sure, but there is an argument that maybe he could start in place of TJ Warren. I think that the Pacers probably knew that T.J. Warren's injury, uh, or maybe they just wanted to have insurance for it. I don't know if they knew the severity of it, that he would have a setback because he did play basketball after that whole thing went down. But I still think there's a possibility that they knew he might have a hiccup in this recovery because it's a tough process. And just getting more wing depth and somebody you can rely on a little bit better defensively could make more sense. So I, uh, I'm i actually a big fan of the Torrey Craig signing, but it's also at the same time, like, it's just a rotational guy, like, not – too much to be excited about but I definitely think it was you know worth the cheap amount of money we gave him. absolutely I think the insurance point is a good one because without finding O'Shea finding that diamond in the rough we would have had no wings last year by the end of it like yeah. uh it just would have been Keelan Martin playing the four all the whole last couple months of the season so uh, I think they realized their mistake about not having those big wings and now we have O'Shea and Craig uh on the on the back burner yeah, so let's move on now to our last guy here. I don't know if it's my pick or not, but um, I think it is actually. O'Shea Brissett, I wrote only true four on this roster, and I know you can probably play T.J. Warren at the four some, but you can say he's a three or four. I don't really see O'Shea as a three, 
So personally for me, I think that O'Shea Brissett is the only true four we have on the trust. Yeah, I can't really argue with you. I think Craig would be second in that regard and then mm-hmm. Warren maybe third. But yeah, I, I, I can't disagree. My three words were please play him. And uh, after I listened to sideline guys and they didn't mention O'Shea Brissett, I went ahead and capitalized please altogether. So now it's please play him. Uh, so, yeah, that's that's just what I want to see. We just got to know if O'Shea was real last year. You know what I mean? Right, right, right. Yeah, that's a big question mark. And, you know, you can say what you want about Nate Bjorkman, but he did a good job, you know, implementing O'Shea into that offense and he looked pretty good. So I think there's maybe expectations are a bit high for O'Shea for this season based on what he did last year, but I'm hoping that's not the case. So let's move over to the starters. Who do you have first? Malcolm Brogdon. Uh, It's funny that we didn't do these together, but we have the same idea. I put, is he problematic? Because I don't know what to make of the reports that he might have some issues or that he might have been available for trade at the trade deadline last year. And obviously, at some point, when you're on your third coach, you have to stop looking at the coach and start looking at the players. And I don't know anything about Brogdon's situation in that regard, but it's just interesting to, to see that we are on th- the third coach. And this coach is not the one that's going to be the problem, I don't think. No, I don't think they'll let it be the problem. If he becomes a problem to Brogdon, then I think Brogdon's on the outside looking in on this one. But yeah, no, we definitely are in step here once again. I wrote president or discontent. And the reason I wrote that is because if he's the president, then he's going to be the leader of this team. He's going to be that, you know, coach on the floor, that that um, that gap between the players and the coach and be that voice for Rick Carlisle out there. But if he's going to be the president, he needs to be it for the full term, not not quit halfway through and become a disgruntled player, which is why you've seen over the last couple of years him become discontent with the situation. So I was trying to think of words that rhymed. And at first I wrote president or resident. And I was like, well, I don't really know how to explain that. So (laughs) discontent was my closest rhyme to president that I could come up with. But, you know, I think we were all incredibly excited about Brogdon when he got here. And for some reason, and I think it's valid reasons, fans have kind of soured on him because of the reports that have come out. And I'm just hoping that, hey, maybe maybe he was right. And maybe we got the, the coaching you know, the guys out of the hot or the, the, the coaching seat that needed to be gone. And if we can get Carlisle in here, and we did, and he can work with uh, Brogdon, then I think it's a good fit. I mean, I said this on the last podcast because we discussed if Malcolm Brogdon is a long-term answer. And while we both, me and Fachi both said no, I still think that Pacer fans do take Brogdon for granted and what he brings to this team. Yeah, absolutely. It's less about what he is as a player like whether or not he's a true point guard, whether or not he's a true leader or whether he just seems like it. And it's, he's good. He is a good player, regardless of all of those things, regardless of if he doesn't fit the traditional point guard mold. Like there's a reason why he got paid what he did and, and he's been worth it so far. So, yeah. Yeah. So let's move on to Miles Turner. Now this one, I just wrote a question, how much longer? (laughs) And the reason I wrote that is because there's a lot of things you can say how much longer for how much longer will he be a pacer? How much longer will he be held back and not allowed to do the things that we think he should be able to do with the offense? How much longer are they going to rely on him solely to protect the paint and be our defensive anchor for, you know, the majority of the season and not allow this, you know, basically what I'm saying is how much longer are we going to rely on him to be our only hope on the defensive side of the ball? So there's a lot of how much longer is for him, but 
how much longer are we going to have to hear this conversation about him and him and uh, Sabonis? I'm I'm over it. I'm ready for them just to make a decision. If they want to make it work long term, then let's just come out and say it. We're not trading him. But at the end of the day, I don't think that's what they want. So I'm just ready for them to make a decision and move on with it because at this point, we're just continuing to sit in limbo. Yeah, could not agree more. It's been time to decide. And the only reason I can think of why they haven't is they haven't had a deal that's to their liking, which, mm-hmm. I mean, you can take that one way or another, whatever you think about one player or the other, that'll just drive what your thoughts are overall. My my three words were growth or stagnation because last mm-hmm. year I felt like he showed a good amount on the offensive end that he hasn't done before. And I think he could take that up another level with Carlisle and some of the things that he likes to do with bigs and the time that it seems like he's spent with miles so far this off season. Obviously that's nothing. That's not a knock against. I hate that. I have to qualify anything good. I say about miles as if it's not a slight to Domas because that's just how we are. But anyways, Domas had a busy off season getting married and stuff. So like it's fine. But if Miles stagnates and he doesn't show anything different, then I think you're right. Then then how much longer is definitely the question. Yeah, I mean, I really do think that Miles just is never going to reach his potential on this roster based on how it's constructed. And that's not a knock on Miles. It's just like, hey, you got a guy here that's a two-time All-Star and Sabonis who plays the same position as you. And while you guys are complete opposites of one another, it's just, you know, you guys both get in each other's way. And I hate to be that guy, but it's just we have to have this conversation. And it's like, look, I don't I don't necessarily think that it's like the worst fit ever, but I don't think that we've ever – I don't think we're ever going to see where it can be a realistic option for a playoff team that has aspirations of winning more than a round or two. You know, it's just – it's one of those things like, hey, you might be able to get out of the first round with this roster intact like it is, but that's your ceiling. And it's like – Playing double bigs in today's NBA is just not something that is a formula for winning basketball. So it's not really a knock on anybody. It's just like, hey, you guys are both really good players, but you guys both get in each other's way, and it limits you guys both at what you can do. And I think that's the problem that the Pacers have with running these double bigs together. Yeah, couldn't agree more. I just hope that we can see some different things from both Miles and Domas with Carlisle, both individually and separately, just to mm-hmm. try and – I mean, one of if one of them's going to get traded, so we might as well drive the price up on both and show what they can do individually and then possibly together if there's another situation a team thinks they can make work with uh, similar bigs. Gotcha, gotcha. And I agree with you too. Um, let's move on. Who is your next player? We're going to go TJ Warren. Um, okay. I had contract year injury, question mark. And so the, the reason here is I don't know what to make of TJ Warren's market and what this injury means for that market. Aaron Gordon just got a four-year $90 million extension, which is about 24-ish, 23, 24 a year, something along those lines. And I put a, a Twitter poll out there and everybody said they would rather have TJ Warren on the same deal, which I don't disagree with. So the question is after this year, however long he's out, what are the chances that he still gets some four year, $90 million deal? I, I honestly don't know the answer. So I don't know what this injury means for what his market will be. And I don't know what it means for the Pacers trying to evaluate him as a piece of the core moving forward. 
yeah, it'll be interesting to see if they offer him an extension before the season starts and if he accepts it or if he banks on himself. I mean, right now, this 2022 free agency class might be one of the most pitiful free agency classes that I've seen in a long time. And, you know, guys like Aaron Gordon and T.J. Warren are at the top of the list. And if Aaron Gordon resigns now for that guaranteed money, what could T.J. Warren do? So I voted on that poll, and I did vote for T.J. Warren, assuming both were healthy. Everybody knows I'm an Aaron Gordon guy, but I, I saw what yeah, T.J. I'm sure that was tough for you. It was, a, it was <laughs> tough, but I'm also a big T.J. Warren fan. And I after seeing what he did in the bubble, like I'm like, okay, I don't ever think Aaron Gordon could perform at that high of a level and, and just be that – you know, uh, efficient on the offensive end. So I'm a, I'm a big TJ Warren guy and I too am worried about the injuries. And so I wrote worried about health because at this point he's had how many foot injuries, how many foot surgeries, like he's missed a ton of games because of it. I wish I had gone through and, you know, added up the number of games that he's missed in his NBA career because of it. But there's a reason why Phoenix got rid of him for cash. And it, it maybe felt like a, a little bit of a slap in the face to, to trade a guy just to dump him onto another team, but the best ability is availability. We've said that several times on this podcast. And if TJ Warren can't stay healthy, then what is his long-term future in the NBA? I mean, look at a guy like Oladipo was the Pacers leader in 17, 18, and now he's on a minimum contract with the Miami heat because injuries have just set him back. So I, I think that Warren's injury is definitely a lot easier to recover from than Vicks, but at the same time, it's still a reoccurring thing that's happened multiple times throughout his career. And, you know, it's just, I, I just want to see this guy healthy before I give him a good amount of money. And I'm worried about his health because I think the team and how far they go is based on how healthy he is. Could not agree more. He's one of the more important players on our roster. And I don't think that's really up for debate that much. I'm doing the math right now on how many games he's missed over the last three years. Mm -hmm. And he's played about half of the games. He's played 110 out of 226 games over the last three years. So that's two years in Indy and one year in Phoenix that he only played half a season. So yeah, 50% of games is not good. That that is that's a little bit scary to be giving twenty plus million to, and you mentioned an extension. I think that if it got to the point where T.J. Warren would want to accept the extension because of the low salary and the fact that they can only give him a certain raise, if it got to the point where Warren wanted to accept that, it might make sense for the Pacers to want to knock a couple of years off of the deal and make it more mm -hmm. like a two year extension instead of doing the full four years. Because if he's as concerned about his health to be taking what would be like a five to $6 million annual pay cut, then that's something for the Pacers to consider as well. No, that's a great point that you bring up there. And it's something that I really haven't thought too much about because I'm still not banking on him signing it before the season starts, but you never know. Um, I mean, it's just, it depends on how severe that injury really is. And the Pacers have to be smart too, because depending on what they do going forward, they could have a lot of guys locked up for a lot of money. And it's like, is it really worth it if we're not really advancing past, you know, first round playoff competitive series? You know, I, I I like a lot of the guys that we have, but I don't realize I don't really believe that the ceiling for this team is anywhere close to a conference finals or even a semifinals. You might make a semifinals if you get the right matchup, but it, it would have to be just that. Like you get the perfect matchup, kind of like Atlanta did with the Knicks last year, a team that I felt like overachieved and maybe take advantage of that. But let's move on. The next guy I want to bring up is Karis LeVert. And I wrote, now is the time. He's in his prime. There's a lot of rumblings around that the Pacers want to build around him as the face of the franchise. And 
I'm just curious to see if he can stay healthy for the, you know, the entire season. He's had some really scary stuff with his health injuries and just his health in general, having, having the cancer last year. And then the foot injuries, the, I think he broke his thumb at one point, if I'm not mistaken, or broke his hand, something like that. He's just, he's just a guy that's had a lot of injuries as well. But when he was healthy last year, towards the end of the season specifically, he looked like a guy that was ready to be a leader on a team. And I'm not sure if he's a guy that I can count on for my number one overall player, but if he can be like right there with my number one guy and be my number two, I, I like my chances because Karis LeVert is a really good basketball player. No doubt. And my three words were need shooting improvement because mm -hmm. not that he's bad as he is, because obviously he was great for us and, it, and it's, nothing to turn your nose at to score 21 points a game and have five rebounds, five assists and a steal and a half. Like that's very, very good. But he also shot 32% from three and mm. that's just not going to be good enough. I don't think to be no. handling the ball as much as he is. And a lot of those, those shots come off the dribble. So there's some, we, we know that that changes things, especially with what we've seen from Brogdon coming from 50, 40, 90 to dropping that field goal percentage down because of shooting off the bounce. But he also shot 82% from the line, which is obviously great. That's his career high, and he did that on a career high of attempts too. So there's hope there for the shooting improvement, and if he can be that efficient from the line and get back to his career 34-ish three-point three percentage, then that's a borderline all-star right there because he's mm -hmm. just he has that possibility, especially with Warren out. He should be having the ball more. He should be finishing plays more, and – I'm, I really, really want to see him blow up next year. Yeah, honestly, I think that the Warren injury might benefit Karis LeVert the most. Yep. And I hate to say that, but I was pretty skeptical of how they would fit together last season once they got Karis because I feel like they're kind of similar players, not entirely, but they both thrive at the ball in their hands, in my opinion. So I don't like T.J. Warren as a catch-and-shoot guy. Like, he can do it on occasion, but I like him with the ball in his hands as well attacking. So I would like to see how they would have staggered their minutes maybe a little bit, always have one on the floor at all times, just having a guy that you know can get the ball in the hoop or at least give you a shot at getting the ball in the hoop in a late shot clock or late game situation. But, you know, I was a little bit hesitant about how they would fit together, but I wanted to see it this year for sure. Do you agree that he should be the face of the franchise moving forward? I don't know because he's a weird player to try and build around. Very unique in the way that he plays, but also – He's a guy who does the best with his ball in his hands because he's not as good of a shooter. But at the same time, is he good enough to demand the ball in his hands that much? Mm -hmm. um, but it seems like they want him to be the face of the franchise, and he's shown flashes of being able to do things that are on par with those kinds of players. So if he, if he can keep that shooting up and maintain the overall production scoring and all that, especially when you throw on TJ Warren's shots, then I don't see why he shouldn't be the face of the franchise. Yeah, no, I I think it's he's he plays the right position to be the leader of your franchise. You know, there's debates that maybe it's Turner, maybe it's Simonis, you know, because Turner's been here the longest and Simonis is the two-time all-star. But um, I don't think Sabonis is at the level of an MVP like a Jokic or Embiid yet. So that to me makes me feel like, okay, can we really rely on our center being our best player? I don't think we can if we really want to be a competitive team in the Eastern Conference. So Levert's going to have to take that step, but I still think he's going to have to find the right person to go with him. And it could be Sabonis, but I think they need one more person there. It could be Warren. 
Um, but it possibly could be Duarte if he pans out. So I think those are all things to monitor. But let's go to our last guy on the list, Domas Sabonis. What were your three words for Domas? What comes next? Yeah. You gotta, I, if this is what he's going to be, then that's fine. But that's not a franchise player, I don't think, because like you said about building around a big, it's just tough, especially when that big is not a great defender in the traditional sense. Mm-hmm. But if Domas can create more shots for himself, if he can find a three-point shot on decent volume with consistency, if he can continue to improve as a defender, both on the perimeter and just in general, then those are all tiny, tiny things. Well, not really tiny. They're smaller things that just come together to bumping you up into that elite level of player. And Mm -hmm. I don't know if he can do it because that's a lot of things that have to go right but he's also young enough and shown levels of improvement to make it kind of hard to doubt whether or not he can do that. Yeah. I think a lot of national media members think that the roof is the, uh, the ceiling for Sabonis, you know, like he can keep going. And I feel like a lot of Pacer fans have kind of felt like this is his ceiling. You know, he can't get much better than this. He'll never be Jokic. He'll ever be in B where I think some of the national media, when they watch him a few times, they're like, Oh wow, he's really, really good. So I think that you do see a lot of his weaknesses when you watch him for 82 games or however many games there are in the season that he plays in. But, you know, I still think that sometimes fans take him for granted for what he does on offense. He does a lot of the little things that people don't recognize. I felt like last year he was definitely overutilized as the primary ball handler and the primary offensive guy that's a connector, I should say. Would like to see him utilize in different ways, maybe play him a little bit more in the dunker spot and see what he can do down there. I said that last year, but... I like Domas. I just said, has he peaked for my question or for my three words? It's like, this is a guy that's made the all-star game twice. And, you know, we've had one good year with the Pacers with him as the all-star and then one bad year with him as the, uh, you know, as the all-star for the Pacers. I don't think that he is a guy that you ever expect to be in the MVP conversation, but I think he's a guy that will always have a case for maybe being like third team all NBA. So I don't know what the next step is for him, but I think he needs to develop his jump shot and maybe be better at knowing when to force and not when to force. Yeah, it'll be very, very interesting to see how Carlisle uses him. Like I was talking about with Miles, both individually and uh, together, because there are things that Domas was doing well, but there was also things that the team was not doing well around him like being stagnant when he gets the ball in the post. So I'm hopeful that they can try and build off of that. But as far as him peaking, I think statistically last year, it's probably going to be hard for him to match that just because of the minutes load. But if he does get better with that three-point shot and he does get better defensively to keep those steals up, he could probably end up matching what he did last year sooner rather than later as long as, uh, as, long as nothing else changes significantly around him. Yeah, I completely agree. So that is our that is the roster we've gone through and kind of looked at everybody and described each player. So, Red, it was a joy having you on again. And I know last time we were on together, we did not have as many great things to say about the Pacers selecting Chris Duarte. But here we are together. We're excited for him. And uh, any other words you want to say on Duarte before I let you go? I'm excited to see if he's actually ready. Like I said, I mean – there's a lot of good things being said about him from Carlisle, from KP, just around the team in general. But you got to come in and prove it. Summer league doesn't mean anything. Preseason doesn't mean anything. You got to go in, play against grown men, even though he's 24. So he's pretty much grown already. But 
I'm excited to see what he does and see if he warranted that 13th overall selection. Absolutely. So you've got a podcast that you do now and you've got a Twitter account. Where can people find you at on Twitter and your podcast? Yeah. So I started a dynasty fantasy basketball podcast, something I'm extremely passionate about. And I spend way extremely, too much time, I spend way too much time thinking about it and talking <laughs> about it and writing about it. So you can always find me on Twitter at Rhett underscore Bauer. And then you can find my podcast at punt intended pod on Twitter as well. Um, would really love some support. We're, we've got a pretty decent following on the podcast, but not so much on the Twitter account yet. Cause I started it, I think yesterday. So right. um, yeah, we're, we're, we're excited to, to keep growing and keep putting out a bunch of good stuff. Yeah. If you're into the fantasy basketball, I think Red is the guy to talk to. He knows his stuff, but I'm curious if it's just, is it just basketball? It is just basketball. So we're, we're mostly dynasty, but I can talk about redraft all day too. So. so what, why punt? That's a football term. Punt in terms of fantasy basketball is when you decide to disregard one category or another. And so gotcha. in the fantasy basketball universe, punting is very common. And so we, we decided to be funny and talk about punt intended because you more often than not end up very intentionally punting something. So well, pretty, pretty niche, but there it is. Well, you can obviously tell that I'm not the biggest fantasy basketball player, but I did join a league with some of the Pacer fans this year on sleeper app. So I'll be knocking at your door red if I have questions. So <laughs> love, uh, that. love to have it. Absolutely. So we're going to take a quick break here on setting the pace. When we come back, host of locked on Pacers, Tony East will join us for our final segment. Hope Fachi is doing well on vacation and we'll be right back after this. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger. 
for the ones who get it done. All right, everybody. And joining us now on Setting the Pace is friend of the show and host of Locked on Pacers. It's Tony East. Tony, thanks for joining. Wow. Love to be a friend of the show. I got to rekindle my <laughs> high school music taste today at work. And now I'm home and I'm ready to talk about the Pacers. Because I listened to Rick Carlisle on a podcast today. It is content season is coming up faster than I thought. It's time. It's Pacers content time. I, I did not get a chance to listen to that podcast. Was there anything noteworthy that I should I should be encouraged to go listen to? Uh, nothing like nothing that's going to surprise you. you know, okay. Talk, talk about the Warren injury and all the wings that you know could step up and, and be helpful there and praise for the rookies and, and t- typical head coach first first interview stuff. A good question right. by JJ and Pat, of course. A- absolutely. So, well, let's just. Jump right into it. So I have to ask because we haven't really talked about the offseason too much, but did the did the Pacers improve with the guys they brought in versus the guys that left? Well, that's just uh, – okay, so it's McDermott, Aaron Holiday, Jakar Sampson out, mm-hmm. and then Duarte, Jackson, and Torrey Craig in. So just vacuum stuff right there. I would say they got worse for next year, basically. I mean, McDermott's the best player of that group. He's out. Sampson was a useful utility guy. It uh, doesn't seem like Jackson's going to play. And Duarte could be the swing guy that makes them immediately better. Who knows there? Um, but I would say, you know, just those three players versus the other three players for next year, they're probably going to be a little worse. Uh, mm-hmm. But in the long term, absolutely picking up two rookies is the better play than having the other three guys. <laughs> so uh, long term, just from the out and in portion of things, I would say uh, improvement in the immediate short term. Roster specifically only, I'd say a little worse, but then of course Bjorkren out, Carlisle in, uh, makes the difference there. Yeah, I guess I didn't even think about coaching in terms of uh, in and out. That's always the uh, the big difference there when you're when you're determining if they did improve or not. But I also think it also depends on how much Duarte plays this season and what kind of role he has. Because if he pops and he's really good, then you know maybe they did improve. But I guess that's to be determined, and we cannot really make that, you know, justification right now. It's it's kind of a question that maybe we answer a year from now and say, did they improve last year with the roster? We could maybe say yes, but uh, you brought up Isaiah Jackson. Obviously, I'm not expecting him to play in the rotation much at all, but another guy, another big that I'm curious to see how he is utilized is Gogo Batadze. So what are your realistic, realistic expectations for Gogo Batadze this season? Playing time. <laughs> yeah. pretty much it. I mean, we've been talking about this on Lockdown Pacers so much, and, like, there's some points that we we beat the drum of that I always feel like we're overdoing it. But with Gogo, we always say, play him or trade him, right? Because this is not directly what you asked, but we'll get there. Because what's the point of having this young guy you drafted in the first round of your team if in year three he's out of your rotation? He has value. Like, get something that's going to be valuable for your team, and the long play might not even be there. He could be passed by Isaiah Jackson in a year, right? You don't even know what his value is. You have to play him or trade him. Um, but I still think he's good, right? We've seen in Fort Wayne that he can shoot. And I know that people say it's just the G League, but we, you know, we knew that Sumner could shoot from the G League. It just took a while. And that finally manifested last year. Goga's already a decently spaced defender, understands what he's supposed to do. He's a little slow on actually doing it. And he'll get better at that as he recognizes the patterns of the game as he, you know, he's even played 100 games in the NBA yet. Right? All this stuff that the typical rookie bigs go through, he'll get there. Uh, pretty soon and, and, you know, learning from another new coach. And this is his third defensive system in three years. So wow, yeah. still a lot of changes for him because he's gone McMillan, Bjorker, and Carlisle. I mean, that's an under-discussed part of Goga's life in the NBA as well. But, you know, if he can finally get it all to click and figure it out, you know, he had a rough 
a rough summer, but if he can finally get it all to click and figure it out and get that three ball to fall, you know, I always joke on Twitter about he's the best looking shot that never goes in. Right. Like it's not ridiculous to you that all those (laughs) things can click at the same time because he's already decent at all of them. So, you know, I just think he needs to play. I think that should be a a goal for the Pacers this year. But when he does just, just taking big steps for not big, that's a lot of pressure on him, but taking a step forward and in all these areas that he was supposed to be good at coming into the league, shooting pattern recognition on defense, being that stopper, would all be helpful? Yeah, I think we've seen flashes of what he can become in the little bit of time that he has played. I think last year we got to see a little bit more of it, but still I feel like just all the setbacks that he's had and we, we know that he had a passing and a family member that passed away and that kept him out of summer league. So just a lot going on there. But moving on, I mean, this is something you guys just hit on your podcast on Wednesday. So I think that, you know, it's a good conversation. We've touched on it as well. But are the injuries we've seen from this core of players – uh, you know, the, throughout the last couple of seasons. Is that more on the training staff, the players, or the front office for assembling a team with so many injury-prone guys? Alex, I, I'm going to pass that question back to you. You're currently the one with dealing with an injury. Did you have a foot injury history before we started recording? Um, <laughs> did, did a training staff assist you in uh, in hurting your foot? What, what's Bro, yeah, my, I, I, I've had some really bad foot pain for the past like three years off and on. So I definitely know what TJ Warren's going through. I haven't had to have <laughs> surgery for it. Um, I worked pr- predominantly in a warehouse for a very long time, was on my feet all the time on concrete. So you can understand where that would come into play. And just, you know, being an overweight fellow that I am too, does not help with the amount of weight I'm carrying around and how much I'm on my feet. But yeah, it is it is incredible pain that I'm feeling right now. My left foot, I can barely put pressure on it. And when I do, I'm grimacing. So right now I've got my foot propped up doing this. But um yeah, I don't really think it's my fault. I guess I could lose weight. I don't think the players are not in shape. So I I this question though, I, I feel like we have to kind of unfortunately put some of the blame on the front office for going after so many guys that have this lengthy history. Uh it's it's really frustrating because I understand why they do it, because you're trying to get that you know, top tier talent that you can and at an affordable cost, but they cannot use that as an excuse for why they don't retool the roster. Let's talk about the most extreme example of this. I'm not comparing the franchises or the historic runs or recent runs of the franchises. Let's talk about the Golden State Warriors for a second because, and specifically Steph Curry, but because, because remember he signed that four year, like what was it? 44, $48 million. Super cheap. Yeah. Rookie extension after his fourth year in the league because you know he hurt his ankle and feet all the time, right? He played 26 games his third year. His fourth year, he was still obviously really good, like 22, 21 points a game, but not quite all-star level. Missed a few games his second year as well, right? So mm-hmm. he took the money. He's like, oh, my gosh, I get hurt all the time. I better take the money. Years five through today, through present day, he's been an all-star every season. They won three championships. They were in the finals five times, right? That is – the best case scenario for a team that lowballs a guy with injury history, they get him because of that. And then that guy's healthy all the time, right? He played 78, 80, 79, 79 games in the first four years of that deal or all the years of that deal, really. Right. And it worked out. Mm-hmm. So the Pacers, you know, similar strategy kind of is that, you know, the, the theory from Tom Lewis that we talked about on the podcast was like the Pacers can get these injury prone guys for cheaper than guys with similar production who play a few more games because of that injury history. And they're betting they can have similar luck to what the Warriors had with Steph. They can get them to play all the time. They'll be really good, and they'll get them at an above-value deal. With year one of TJ Warren, that happened, right? But now we're seeing the pitfalls of that. 
where one guy gets hurt. In this case, it was Vic. And now you're playing Brogdon more, and he's injury prone, so he gets hurt. And then Lamb has a fluke injury. So now you're playing Brogdon even more, and then you're playing, you know, Warren's foot thing happens, and then Sabonis' foot thing happens, and all of a sudden all these injury prone guys are playing a lot or playing more, or Bjorkman's putting them out there for a ton of time, and it just all stacks up, and, and you can't get the luck when you're putting you, – you can't help but put them in poor situations for injury prone players, and it all just stacks up. So the idea was – I think it's a good idea for a small market team to say this guy's better than – what his market is because of injuries. We have a pretty good training staff. Let's align those things and, and, and find success. But it hasn't worked. You know, they started to stack up and really hurt this team. So you, you everybody wants to point your finger somewhere, and, and you have to, right? It, it's certainly something on the front office that they've added a lot of injury-prone guys. That's a thing. But sometimes injuries are just flukes, and sometimes one injury causes the snowball of all the rest. So right. it, it's a tough spot for the team, and it has not worked out. No, it hasn't. I mean, I, I went through a list of just guys that or, or guys on our team that are like our highest paid players that have had injuries before coming to Indiana, and all of them had all of them, <laughs> all of them had every single one, pretty much significant injuries. And it's just like, okay, so it's it's depressing in a sense because you're hoping that they can get healthy, but at the same time, you cannot rely on it whatsoever. And I think that's what's the biggest thing with trying to predict this team and figure out what they can become and what they will be because it's just there's that looming question in the air. Can we stay healthy? So my question for you is biggest areas of concern for this year's Pacers team aside from health. Oh, biggest areas of concern aside from health. One for me would be, can they get back to the defense that Kevin Pritchard wants? Yeah. Um, you know, they were top, what were they, sixth, seventh? I always say sixth, but I'm actually 100% sure on that two years ago. I can't They have remember. a very similar <laughs> roster, but Warren's out, uh, which is a, a big hurt there. He was a really good defender that season, but – if they want to be the team that they were two years ago when they were, you know, fourth in the East and really good at that, they were building something special. You can't get top four in your conference without being really good at something. You know, if they finish, what, what were they last year? 14th in defense and like 12th in offense or something like that's not going to get you to where you want to be. And I, it's very obvious given the roster construction, even with the new coach, the defense is going to be the way they get back to being that really good team. So, you know, my big question is, can they get back to being an elite defense? What can Carlisle implement? with this team to get them up to that level again. You know, we know what Turner can be. We know that Craig can help them in a way that they haven't had a guy who can do what he can do before. They didn't have O'Shea two years ago. Can can some of the new guys come in and kind of mitigate what they lost with Warren being out? And can they be that defense they were two years ago or close to it? Because that's their way to get back into the upper echelon of the East. And obviously offense is, is going to be what it is with this team. But to me, the defense is the big step because if they remain kind of close to what they were last year, of getting back to where they want to be. Yeah, so unfortunately, me and Fachi had scheduled to record our podcast predicting this or giving our standings predictions the day that TJ Warren's injury was announced that he was going to be out longer. So I, I stuck with what I had already said, but I had the Pacers finishing fifth in the East because I felt like Carlisle has always done a great job in his first year. He's never gotten worse, I don't think. Maybe he did when he took over the Mavericks, but the team that he took over was really good already. But he, he turned around the Pistons team and the Pacers team and got them to like, gigantic win totals like a, a total flip around so I was like okay if we got Rick Carlisle as the head coach and this team is you know running it back for the most part uh, looking at I think they probably have gotten better since two years ago with McMillan so I was thinking I could see them finishing around fifth I mean I, I think it's going to be incredibly close I you know you're a little bit lower on them in terms of win losses I had them around like 45 46 but I just I feel like this team is a little bit slept on because of 
everything that happened last year, and they could be a surprise team this year. I don't know if you feel that way or not, but I know the East has gotten better, so I'm just I'm just curious where you kind of see them falling. That's possible that they could be the surprise team when we ran through the East. You know, the, the trouble with two, you know, the two years ago comparison is apt. You know, I just made it talking about their defense a few seconds ago. But the other trouble with that that I brought up a few times is like the East is better since then, right? Like right. The Knicks, the Knicks are way better than they were then. The Heat are even better. You know, the, the, there are a lot of teams that have the Hawks, you know, have jumped up from where they were when the Pacers were in that four seed. So they can be, if, if they get back to that level, sure, they can get into that tier. But I had them like, you know, where basically everybody else is, is pinning them, including the betting markets, like that Bulls, Knicks, uh, Wizards uh, range right outside of the playoff spots now that it's only six, which is so weird to think about, by the way. It's so like, oh, if you have them seventh, it's like they could lose two games and just not even be a playoff. Yeah, team. I hate it. I hate the plan. Yeah. So, you know, I have them in that tier. Um, I get like health is, you know, this is true for every team. Like if they're healthy, they'll be good. But for them, as we just discussed, like that's even more so the case. So that's kind of where I had them. I think like 41 to 43 is the win total. That makes sense to me, but they could start off great. And, you know, their early season schedule could dictate a lot of their season because it's so challenging. If they start off great, they could easily move up to that fifth spot where you have them. And if they start off weak or these injuries really, really mount up for them or Kyle can't get them back in that, upper echelon of defense i find it hard to believe they could they could be a playoff team unless some of the other east teams just totally flop this season. yeah well I, I don't know if you heard or not but i did have philly and boston both below them <laughs> wow boston but, i can i can i can kind of understand but but i mean philly you're only just too good even if simmons doesn't play yeah but I mean, he misses about 25 percent of the games each year too and it depends on what they get back so i was weighing in like the drama with with simmons how does that factor into it plus and beats health because we've yet to see it i think he missed 21 games last year and the and the Sixers were 10 and 11 without him and they were 7 and 7 without Simmons last year so I mean pretty much mediocre without one of those guys in there um or without both of them in there so that's where I was just like okay I know they're going to get somebody probably good back for Ben Simmons if they don't and I'd be surprised but they're going to get someone that can contribute but at what level because I feel like everything's being overblown with Ben Simmons because of the playoffs but he still had an amazing regular season in my opinion and was really a part of the reason they were so good. But that's that's where I had them at. But me and Fachi on the last podcast, we we were talking about if there was an expansion draft. I know you guys, I believe, did this on, on Lockdown Pacers not too long ago. If you could protect eight players, who would they be? And I was like, I, I'm curious what your answer would be now, seeing that we just drafted two first-round picks and acquired O'Shea Bursett that's last hard, season. Man. It's a lot harder yeah, now. It's a yeah. much harder now. So uh, I'm curious who your eight would be for protection. And so, I mean, probably the five starters I feel like are in there. But, yeah. you know, you have to think about Warren right now mm-hmm. a little bit to me because he's he's hurt and expiring, right? So how much – what are you really protecting there? Like, there's a chance you're protecting 50 games of a starter and then he's gone in a year. So I, I have to think about it with him. But I, off the top of my head, I said, okay, I'm going to start with a baseline of the five starters, Duarte, Jackson, McConnell. But now I, I, I want to stop and think if there's anyone else that I want to get in there, because O'Shea is 23 and is good and could have a spot in the rotation this coming season. I think he should, uh, but who knows? There's a lot of guys vying for minutes. Goga is 22, and I think he's good too. There, there You could argue to keep him over McConnell, though if you're going to keep both Turner and Sabonis, uh, you're already keeping two 20, 26 and younger centers. I get why you'd unprotect Goga. He seems like a guy who could be picked from another team. 
Uh, Sumner's injury means I'm not protecting him. So I think those are the candidates of guys to disrupt the eight I, I started with would be Goga and O'Shea. I'm really struggling with O'Shea here. Uh, yeah, I ended up keeping O'Shea and letting Isaiah Jackson not be protected. Okay. And Fachi yeah, did the that's opposite. Totally defensible. We know O'Shea is a good NBA player. So we don't with Isaiah. Three, so that, that makes sense to me. Yeah, and I, and I also said we really need to think about T.J. McConnell because what is his ceiling, a backup point guard. And I said you might be losing quite a bit in terms of, like, heart and soul of the team, but at the same time, like, if you're worried about the future, what would you rather have, T.J. McConnell, who's in his prime now, or would you rather bank on Isaiah Jackson, a guy you just invested in who's 19 years old? Like, to me, I, I thought about it more, and I'm like, I could see myself – not protecting McConnell if I was like really thinking hard about right. it, but I also like brought I the case of Warren. If, yeah. if someone said they kept O'Shea over Warren, I would kind of get it. You know, I didn't do it just now, but I would I would be like, you know what, your thinking at least makes sense to me. Yeah, and I and I also brought up the Turner debate too, just because like obviously you don't want to lose him for nothing, and I, and I know he would go, so it's like I don't think it would happen at all, and I wouldn't do it. But at the same time, it's like if you already have thought about moving him a few different times and it's either keep him or maybe Isaiah Jackson, someone you think might be a part of the future uh, longer or be more of the long-term plan. Like if that came down to it, would you, would you make that hard decision? I don't think I could do it, but it's a, I think they were all worthy for conversation. I just, it's, it's a tough exercise with so many good players now. Can I add a stupid addendum? Yeah. How many teams are expansion drafting? We did two. I said two, two? teams. Okay. That makes it harder because I, I believe the rules in this convention drafts, you can only draft one guy from each team, right? Okay. So if it, I think that's a real rule that happened the last time there was an NBA expansion draft, right? Makes sense. So if there was yeah. two, if there was only one team like drafting from the pool of players, I might be more willing to unprotect two young guys, knowing you'd get to keep one of them because they can only pick one guy from your team, right? Right, right. But it, in the case where there's two teams and each one could pick a guy from your team, that's a little more risky. But that's a stupid addendum, and I'm just overthinking. <laughs> well, it's it's, it's important though because if there's two more teams, they're going to draft a total probably of what. 24 to 30 players to fill right, out their right. roster. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's worth looking at. But that was just a fun exercise. We were, like, that having a hard fun. time with it. Um, so I've got a couple more quick exercises for you. Um, I've got finish this sentence or over under. Which one do you want to do first? Finish the sentence. All right. The Pacers will be a top six seed in the Eastern Conference if? Uh, their defense gets to top five. Okay. Uh, the Pacers will miss the play-in game if? <laughs> I <laughs> Uh, if injuries continue, miss the play-in game like completely. Yes, miss it completely. So out wow. of the, it's like not seven through ten. Uh, wow, man. If the season is canceled. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If the season doesn't happen. Um, yeah. if they have a fire sale, the trade deadline. Which okay, they're bad. <laughs> uh, uh, right. Okay. Um, the Pacers are the blank best team in the Central Division. Central Division. Yes. Second. Over Chicago. Yep. Okay, that's how I feel too. But I wasn't sure how Barely, you felt about Chicago. Yeah, over Chicago. Yeah. Okay. The Pacers have a blank percent chance of winning a playoff series. Uh, right now, I have to answer that. During like twenty-four <laughs> percent. Why not just say twenty-five? <laughs> yeah, just say twenty. Just say 20. okay, twenty. All right. The Indiana Pacers will blank, uh, make blank trades this season. Or you could do trade if well, you want. Well, see, two players, but it could be one trade, I suppose. Okay. Um, I'll say two. Two? Okay. So over-under here, it's it's pretty basic. I'll just go through them real quick. You tell me over-under. I said games one forty-two. 
man, that's like the perfect number. Um, <laughs> can I say 42? Can I see a hey, it's like, over under. You have to pick one. Uh, dang. I'll go over, but but by one. I think okay. I think I ended the exercise at 41 and Adam ended at 43. So 42 is like perfect. Yeah. Um, so yeah, right around there. I'll just say over because I'm I'm being an optimist today. Okay. Uh games played by TJ Warren, 50. Under. Under, okay. Under. Games played by Malcolm Brogdon, 65. Sheesh. Slightly under. These are hard. I know. I was trying to make it difficult for you. Warren, I was thinking I of these. I probably would have said over this morning, but I, I think Carlisle used like an adverb. I think he said not significant, but he said something like we'll miss like a chunk of time. Or he said he described it in a way that made me it made it sound longer than I had interpreted in my head so warren maybe i said under because i had information i got today brogdon has just given his history i'll say under 65 but barely yeah well i I think scott agnes i don't know if it was on his podcast or if he tweeted it out basically said that right now they're not uh, considering surgery again for tg warren but he thought they might have to have surgery again so i he said that they're not planning on that right now so i was maybe a little bit more optimistic but 50 games, it's, it's a tough call there. Um, number of All-Stars, one. Under. Under. Number of playoff wins, two. I mean, I, I have no reason to give them the benefit <laughs> to get three playoff wins this season, so under. Okay. Uh, number of games, Miles Turner is a pacer. I put 55. <laughs> I, can, I, can I do a quick uh, formula in Excel to count how many games before? I was game? trying to do that today. Myself. Is that okay? Can I yeah, that? I think it's right around there, right by the okay. deadline, 55. <laughs> counting function um he could get hurt too so i feel like the odds are my favorite to say under even okay that even though that's not the spirit of the question right um okay um home wins 21 oh 21 over okay uh games chris duarte starts six under all right oh uh, wow really i feel like he could play start okay. some if they set some of the guys okay uh, no, I think they would like to start him more than six games, but I've I've seen Rick, Rick Carlisle's recent handling of rookies enough. To, uh, that's true, but have they been twenty four years old? Uh, I, you know, I don't think that's <laughs> that's necessarily the, the in his favor argument. That it, right uh, games I, Isaiah Jackson plays in. I put eight plays in just at all. Yeah, yes, garbage time included. Yes. Oh, over. Definitely. I just didn't know if he would even be on the roster half the time, uh, depending on who they dress. It's, that, that, yes, I understood. I mean, I feel like he'll be one of the 13 active guys. Like, Okay. Time. So I said, hey, what number would you have made to make it more difficult? Hold on. I'm looking at stuff. From Jakar Sampson? No. Well, sort of. Yeah, like Cat, like Cassius last mm-hmm. year played 24. Did he really? Wow. Okay. Yeah. Well, so that was really probably, low. <laughs> I would have probably said like 20. Okay. Okay. Well, that was really low on my part then. So I gave you an easy one. Uh Total players injured for a portion of the season, I put nine. What does portion mean? Like multiple games. More than one game missed? Wow. Yes. I put More than nine one players. game inactive due to injury? Probably over nine. I think that happened okay. last year. Yeah, that's why I, I, we're so injury prone. I figured it was – I was like nine feels so high. We're, I put we're already at two. I know. <laughs> so We only got seven left to go. This but, one's easy. Yeah, over. <laughs> yeah, so that was all my over-under questions. Uh, anything else you want to hit on bef- before I let you go here, Tony? Yeah, I'm not talking about this on, on Locked on Pacers till Monday, but I can get it on a different podcast today. Okay. Edmund Sumner, DPE. 
is worth less than the veterans minimum. So mm. they can't sign Lance with it. I figured you were going to ask me about that. I no, I, I wasn't. Needed, gonna... I needed to say it out loud somewhere. I, they I, could I, sign Lance with it, but not till like February, Marchish, when his veterans okay. minimum is below that amount. Well, if he's not signed by then, which I think is highly likely, he might sign it. Um, they could sign him to a minimum deal. They just can't use that to get. Him, I got gotcha. the the hot Twitter sphere stuff today. I, I have I, to be Mister Capdor who ruins everybody's fun. Well, that's that's no fun, Tony. But <laughs> I, I when I, I I think you're in the boat of you don't think Lance is very good at basketball, and Correct. I just don't understand that because I feel like he's healthy when he plays, uh, never never often injured. There are some things that he does that are frustrating, but I still think he does impact winning somewhat. You know, I, I don't. But eight, playing 82 games the last time he was with the Pacers is certainly awesome. And if they well, what, gave him the minimum. What's your biggest plays, reasoning, I guess I should say? If, if he give, if he gets the minimum and he never plays, that's great. You know what? That's to- totally fine. Uh, <laughs> and, he, he, he's not that good. He doesn't score efficiently. He turns it over a lot. Yeah, I get that. It's pretty overrated. Now, it used to be actually good. Well, I was going to say, because he was like a starter on like an Eastern Conference championship team. Like He was. He was really good at that point. I, I didn't think he was bad the year he was here when they uh, took the Cavs to seven. He was a way better playmaker in 2014, too. I think that's kind of under discuss with him, too. Right. And I know Slick really Leonard. passer that year. Slick Leonard really wanted him to be the point guard of, of the future. Yeah, yeah. Which I just always thought was funny because I never expected <laughs> Lance to be able to handle that kind of responsibility. But um, at the end of the day, I just think that – He'd be good for the fans. I mean, even if he only played like two minutes of garbage time, fans would come to see that. So <laughs> that definitely matters. And like I said, if he's if he's on a minimum and on the rotation, no harm, no foul, right? Yeah, so I, what, I can't really dispute that. But they the, can't legally use the new exception they have that everybody wants them to use on him. On him. I all right. Know. Well, way to way to end the pod. <laughs> Did I ruin setting the pace? You didn't I'm ruin it. No, you, you're invited back. But <laughs> I, well, the last thing I have to ask you: the biggest conspiracy was the Pacers Wednesday wallpaper at TJ McConnell with the with the core four without TJ Warren, and everybody kept saying, "Is this a projected starting five? And I was like, uh, "Oh sources. yeah, yeah." I actually didn't see people outraged about this until someone tagged us. Yes, Tyler Freeman. Five. And I was like, eh, I don't really think so. It's probably just the five fan favorites, I would guess. But um, it was interesting to, to see TJ in there, um, McConnell in there for Warren. Um, don't really know who else you would have put in there if you're trying to put a fifth that's not Warren. And I was just having fun with it because everybody kept making their conspiracy theories off the picture. I quote tweeted it and said, Domas is the face of the franchise because his picture was the biggest. <laughs> but I don't know if people realize I was joking. But <laughs> That's the Mark Monty starting five in that picture. He wrote a pretty compelling story about why he thinks McConnell should start. And I always respect his opinion because that man knows more about the Pacers and basketball than I maybe ever will in my entire life. So Yeah, he's been pretty hard on that. that. He's been hard on that. And he, he, he said that LaVert should come hard off the bench. hard on start McConnell. And so, you know, I and, saw and, that and I was like, oh, I am going to reread Mark's story. Bring Levert uh, off the bench. Not not my option. Um, not what I would choose. I would start Justin Holiday, but I, you know, I would get why they would start McConnell. I just wouldn't do it. Yeah, I would start Justin for like the first couple of weeks, see how he does. And if Duarte shows he's worthy of it, then maybe slide Duarte in there just because I feel like yeah, I you want him there long term. But I wouldn't just give it to him right away. He's got to earn those minutes, in my opinion. Um, just because he's a rookie and if he's good, then then he's ready to go in there and we'll figure it out. But Tony, you got to get out of here. So where can the people find you at on social media if they're not already following you? My very young niece is coming over for the first time ever today. Ooh, awesome. I'm excited to be hosting. Um, yeah, I'm on Twitter at T East NBA. 
podcast at Lockdown Pacers. Although, if you're listening here, keep listening to Setting the Pace. I don't Appreciate like it. plugging my own podcast on someone else's That's podcast. okay. That feels dirty. Uh, and I haven't written oh, yeah. in a while, actually. But I have two fever stories coming out in the next six days. I got to hold myself to that. So six days and then training camp starting up. So I'll have lots of good Indiana basketball stuff. Awesome, man. Thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. Alex, thanks for having me. Oh, we have some smother chicken on that one. Smother chicken. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.